Greetings and welcome to Modern Gnostic. My name is Brian Stanford. I'm coming at you from Asheville, North Carolina. And this is the third episode of Modern Gnostic. And this one is something a little bit different. I was hanging out with my good friend Jim last night talking about um, our work here in town (coughs) establishing a Gnostic temple and a Gnostic um, group here. And one of the things we were discussing last night was working towards a name for the group. And as we were having the conversation, I realized that I thought we were hitting on some pretty interesting stuff and I decided to just hit record and record the conversation. So I'm not sure uh, how people are going to receive this. Hopefully it's interesting. I feel like it's pretty interesting. Um, This is my first time trying with the podcast to add audio in at the beginning after I've already recorded something. So hopefully that works out well. Um, This is all an experiment in stepping into the arena. And so that's what I'm doing here. And I hope you enjoy this episode with me and Jim Gennaro Uh, as we talk about the differences between the spark and the flame. Enjoy. That's kind of a nice robot. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to not realize that that's there. Turn off the screen. (laughs) So go back and say what you were just saying. What I was saying was that uh, rather than a flame, the, the language I hear in like Gnostic writings and from things you said too tends to talk about a spark. And it's interesting to me to think of like an eternal spark as opposed to an eternal flame because a spark is by definition like a short lived thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and it got me thinking about like time and. The experience of like living a life that feels like a very short spark you know but potentially could ignite a flame that lasts forever and then that got me thinking about philip k dick and how his revelation was like kind of uh transcended linear time because he was having like a an experience of like the people shortly after the crucifixion Right, right. And was, like, simultaneously experiencing this reality. And right. so um, kind of that notion that, like, you know, if we, if our eternal souls are, like, outside of time, then that, you know, from that perspective, it would appear as a flame, an eternal flame, but from, like, the perspective of, our, of like, a lifetime you know in the material world it it's like your whole existence is like a brief spark yeah yeah and it, it also <clears throat> it also makes me think of um, I guess of what the then the analogy of spark to flame so you said something i don't know if we got it when we started recording but you had said it before that um maybe it starts a fire maybe it doesn't like it it... right yeah like a a spark could if there was kindle if the right kindling was there a spark Mm. could start a fire Mm -hmm. you know which which 
also feels like analogous to the parable about the seed, you know, where Jesus mm-hmm. talks about casting seed and some of it will fall on rocks and some of it will fall on, <coughs> I can't remember what all the things, but like there's lots of ways it cannot take root. Right, 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 right. So then in regards to thoughts about um, a name, well, okay, but even before that, so do you think the analogy in the traditional Gnostic writings and maybe even some of the modern ones, like that makes me think of Gurdjieff's thing that everyone has the potential to have a soul or the potential for you know some kind of state of like awakened consciousness uh, that is more flame-like than spark-like mm-hmm. but that um you know the vast majority of in the vast majority of cases that spark's just gonna like flame out right um <clears throat> do you think that they are that the suggestion then of the work is to create kindling that the spark can catch to? I think that is a useful metaphor. So it also makes me think about like Taoist yoga and the whole, you know, the whole point of at least certain schools of Taoist, uh, sorry, not Taoist yoga, Taoist uh, alchemy. And how the point in at least some traditions of Taoist alchemy is to create like a like a little sort of golden seed of awareness that is crystallized enough that it doesn't dissolve at death. Right. And so you can remember <laughs> your lives and yeah, and like obviously there's that's a pretty applicable thing to like the philosopher's stone and Western alchemy too. Yeah, you know, this <laughs> it's this very thing that got me onto this at all to begin with is that I think um it was like when I was studying Buddhism and the general idea would be that what you're striving for is to realize that there is no, <clears throat> you know, seed thing that it's it's all um I mean, there's various ways Buddhists would describe it. Like, it's all composed of different component parts and therefore it doesn't have one central kind of essence, nature to it. Um, But then I started noticing in Tibetan Buddhism that, like, with the high teachers or whatever, they are trying to create (laughs) the seed, you know? Like, high, highly realized lamas in Vajrayana Buddhism... I mean, it's the entire Tolku tradition, right? Like, they, they find the Dalai Lama's next birth, and it's some little kid in a village somewhere, and they're able to be like, hey, which one of these bells was your bell? Mm-hmm. Which one of those people was your attendant? And all that kind of stuff. And the idea is that the consciousness, the seed, or the spark, hasn't flamed out. It, they've created a vessel in which, I mean, whatever, these, who knows what they're doing? <laughs> the idea is they're creating something that can carry carry forward and that's what I started to think um I don't know if you're familiar with like the temple of set at at all 
in the, I, in the occult world? I've vaguely, not really. Like I've heard the name. I know a little bit about Set or Seth or the various. Yeah, but I don't. I can't say I really. It's like I know it's like kind of like a chaos magic thing with like kind of a little bit of a dark left hand path kind of. They have all that vibe. aesthetic, <laughs> but the thing that's interesting about them is they basically like say. <laughs> They call themselves, you know, they say they're like left-hand path, but they say the thing that defines the left-hand path is that you're viewing the spiritual path uh, as this thing of creating an immortality machine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, metaphorically speaking, creating a consciousness that doesn't snuff out at death and that, that continues on, that fulfills that potential of the spark becoming a flame. And then they describe right-hand path religions as having the desire to either merge with the flame or realize your oneness with the flame or something mm. like that. Whereas the left-hand path is more of like becoming the flame. In, in, but in a way that it's... Uh, I, I've heard it Kabbalistically described as like you're becoming the drop in the ocean, but you're also aware that you're a drop and you're aware that there's an ocean. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a complete merging. And I think that that's like a fundamental thing about the, the um, Gnostic path or the Hermetic path, those things as they manifest in the West. And like you say, they have their correlations, it seems, in all the Eastern traditions as well. But the idea that the path is to create this immortality vessel thing is I think fascinating mm -hmm. um, eternal life I mean that's sort of like the yeah. uh, you know like road the kingdom of heaven sort of <clears throat> it's part of it anyways you know like being liberated from the from the obligation of like the cycle of death at least because mm -hmm. you know like there's also like the bodhisattva yeah, yeah, folks yeah. who <laughs> stick around and stuff Right, right. Yeah, and it, it's, um, you know, we've been watching some Graham Hancock videos lately and reading uh, his new book, America Before, and he's showing the way in which the Egyptian, you know, Egyptian, ancient Egyptian mystery religions and apparently certain... Um, for lack of a better word, like indigenous people here uh, having, you know, this idea of the, the thing was to transcend death, was to like project the consciousness out, you know, into the stars where it lived forever kind of thing hmm. uh, is pretty perennial, I suppose. Um, so I should probably at this point, <laughs> I don't know because it seems relevant, bring in the model of the the clairvision school the teachings that i was yeah studying yeah because i yeah, think yeah. it's like it informs my context a great deal and <clears throat> you know and there's like lots of, of analogies to this and stuff but so basically their concept was that the, you know and it's sort of coming from this like Steinerian whatever like world, like view of like an evolutionary process where like waveform or like I'm um, sorry like uh, like different life 
waves happen and are like evolving towards the next state so like we're becoming something more akin to what we think of angels as and they're evolving into something high and it's like the whole like the ladder to god kind of thing mm-hmm, that we're mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. sort of progressing up and but that <clears throat> given like our specific history as like the human race that we have gone through this um this evolution from what he, they call he called the the pre-personal phase into the personal phase and then into the transpersonal phase mm, okay and so and the in the thing is like in the pre-personal phase we were all like in this state of um like total connection you know like full psychic spiritual vision communion with the gods communion with you know each other but no sense of identity no sense of self yeah and so the reason that like the I am is the central mystery of like the, all the Western religions at least is that this the, the the our evolution from the pre-personal into the personal phase was all about cultivating a sense of self within that, and that meant a gradual you know what the, what they call the Kali Yuga, where the basically our psychic faculties became more and more limited and this is sort of the you know the fall basically is the myth that we tell about it and you know there's lots of thing factors you could look at but basically as like language became more the way that we encapsulated thoughts and structured thoughts and our ability to like see with our inner eye our third eye became like less and less um you know viable that we've we've settled into this phase where we do have a sense of self and an ego in the small e sense of things Mm. and you know, to some very large degree, we've kind of created like a hellish reality for ourselves in doing so, and that we have like, you know, weapons of mass destruction and various, you know, yeah, like increasingly, uh, well, you know, I mean, and there's a lot too in this mythology that I, I don't seem to need to get in right now too about the role that like the you know the Luciferic beings. Way yeah. in like helping assist us along that path. Yeah, yeah. You know, but right now we're sort of on the like the you know coming over like peak the peak of like that particular phase, and we're heading more and more into a transpersonal phase. And in many ways, that looks like the pre-personal phase, except that we have a sense of identity right. within it, and ideally then the goal is as a person who's evolving in the transpersonal phase of our evolution is to become um psychically aware and like develop vision and develop and to and to also cultivate like the divine spark within ourselves but do so in an intentional manner so that there's like a structure for the spirit to cling to essentially. And that's like the alchemical process is like infusing the, infusing the self with light, like even more than like the physical body, which in some ways is just really like a projection into a certain 
dimension yeah. of the self of the self but you know take that core of like identity and like bring more and more light into it and then and so then like the process that we were using uh was uh involved what they called uh, samskaras mm-hmm. which um as they defined it or as i understood it there is basically like when you so so in any lifetime you know there are most when you die most of your astral body dissolves because your astral body is basically just like a fragment of like structures around mentality or like around thought you know they're Mm -hmm. like thought forms that have like kind of like hooked into your etheric body um and you know when you die those largely shatter but there are certain events that are so profound in your life that when they happen to you you have like a flash of awareness and that state of awareness brings like your true self like capital s self into Mm. your astral body at the same time and creates like a little like structure that is sort of like a a thing that doesn't quite dissolve in the the, like in the soup of whatever your astral body dissolves into and Mm. it comes back as an imprint that of course you don't remember anything but you have these like um patterns and they cause as you're developing your astral body in your next life they causes like basically like psychological patterns because it's it's like you know your your thought forms and your emotions and the things that make up your astral body as you're developing one as a kid kind of form around these and the and so these things have like kind of it's kind of a dual-edged sword because on the one hand um they can be very problematic because a lot of things that you know if you think about the things that happen to you in a life that really awaken you like Mm -hmm. yeah some of them are joyful experiences but the vast majority of them are like getting fucking impaled on a you know right 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 like many of the way horrible ways that people have suffered in human history yeah and so but they also have this pattern i mean sorry they also have this potential to awaken you because if you can get in touch with that and go back into the the pattern and the memory that you also can connect consciously with a point in a past life or even in this life where you Mm -hmm. were you were very hyper aware of your higher self and so they actually become sort of the the pathway by which the process is started to uh, explore, you know, to like spiritualize your astral body, for lack of a better word. Right. Um, so that was a lot of the work. Fascinating. Was, and, and, and so, and the other thing is that they, they can like manifest as like spots on your body, you know, those places where you have like intense pain. Uh-huh. Or, like, yeah, yeah. Especially the, like, like what what turned him on to the whole thing was he was like meditating for hours and hours a day and he would have these spots that just became like excruciatingly painful but then when he stopped meditating it went away Uh and so he eventually started like exploring the spots in meditation and having like imagery and stuff come up and that's how the that's how the system developed and he realized that like it then becomes like this dual path with like your meditation practice because 
as you start to like release some of the built up charge around these things yeah. by making the unconscious conscious essentially as mm -hmm. Jung would say um, you also like make your meditation practice easier because the pain lessens and the you know the distracting pull into the body it's really interesting because um, <clears throat> for years I had had this uh, searing pain at a very direct spot in my back and it was getting to where <clears throat> seated meditation for me was always this battle with this intense you know really really intense pain and I I started to put focus on it in practice and kind of try to see what the pain was and where it was and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't get any release from that, but over the last year, um, have done a lot of, uh, spiritual work and, and personal work. And that spot is virtually gone. And I can, I can sit in practice and my body's not a problem like that anymore. And it's definitely correlated with waking up in the middle of hard work you know like whatever the hard work is like emotional stuff tragedies mm -hmm. in life whatever it is you know like you said it's almost like this thing that's appreciated is that a word <laughs> like it's you know like accrued around it right. built up all over it yeah. and um and it's the kind of pouring into that as a as a uh, you know a way in which there's the waking up kind of thing um, it also makes me think and I, I don't have much about this other than just like the vague beginnings of an idea but <clears throat> I think that even when different systems are talking about awakening or liberation or enlightenment or something like that. I think depending on what you're doing with this question, the maps are likely to be different. Hmm. Like I, I think it turns into this thing that's not necessarily like all points lead to the top of the mountain as so much as that like there's different mountain ranges and right. you know not all points lead to the top of mount everest you know like there's the, there's some specific territory like experiential territory that lies in both the range of like the no self experience the experience of of the merging of like the pre-personal or whatever um and there's a map for that and there's experiences that are had based on doing practices you know going in that direction and that there there must be Maps. There must be ways to map the territory of what this, what you're talking about that you were learning in that school that like, oh, okay, you know, not that this is a moment for me to realize myself is not real or something like that, but this is a moment for me to realize that that like small self me is not real or, you know, that or just waking up to that sense of I am. Um, I mean, that's yeah. like a way to engage with things in life. I think that the, the the magical, a lot of the magical, Kabbalistic, Hermetic people have sort of mapped 
these different paths out and that I that you know the the there's like the different paths of that you can work the tree right right you know and, right, right. and like there's some you know like if you go up the central path that's that's basically like the mystics path that's that's mm-hmm. like uh, going you know like the you know going towards like merging with god right you right, know? right but if you go up like the severity path or the mercy path, or, or better you know like in the kabbalistic they or like the yeah you know the, the magical sword. system they, yeah. get, they get up this yeah that way and and consider that like you know i mean i mean on a bigger picture i I think that like hermetic magic is basically part of the tradition of that path that does involve the self very much because that's like the western path absolutely in a nutshell in a very rough way that's the difference between the western and eastern religions you know yeah in in a broad although there's approximately yeah but there is this thing in the Vedic tradition, um, like you have the Advaita Vedanta kind of stuff that you're talking about, but then you also have this um, uh, Achintha Beta Beta Tattva is how they say it in Sanskrit, but it's I can't remember right now the school it's associated with. It's a kind of Vedanta that's not non-dual. It's this thing that you're that we're talking about of <clears throat> realizing that you, you know like the thing that you wake up to is that you are spirit soul that you are an inter- eternal being and that um and even in this the thing with the the rabbi's stuff I've been studying like he he has a whole map of kind of how that thing of of waking up to who and what we are in the sense of uh, self or soul but what's interesting with like the Vedas and with the I guess with the Jewish Kabbalistic path and I think also with the Gnostic um, or you know whatever some elements of the Gnostic path uh, at least how it manifests to me is the the part of the thing of like waking up to that soul seems to be for me at least related to waking up to the reality of, of of the other, like of the divine, of of Hashem or God or whatever source or whatever people, you know, whatever words we want to put on it, but like this. And that's where I always thought of spark and flame is like, I didn't think about that thing. And that's what made me so interested at the beginning. I didn't think about the aspect of spark. Yeah, like exactly what you're saying. Like sparks flame up and then they burn out and then the giant bonfire keeps going you know Mm -hmm. Um, because I always like that's one of the ways in which I feel like uh, Hashem like manifests to me is the divine is like this giant cosmic bonfire you know and I always thought of us as like sparks from that like we have all the qualities of fire we have all the things that the bonfire has but just (laughs) like infinitesimal in you know potential but i would much rather be a spark that lands on something and, mm-hmm. and kindles a flame um but then it's funny because the flame is to this other thing the flame merges too and then becomes like there's no individual spark enough yeah yeah bonfire so it's yeah the metaphor kind of 
<laughs> well, and it's funny because that's what they say in the, the, the Vedic version of this, that achinta beta beta tattva means like incomprehensible oneness and separateness. Like it's, mm. it, it, it's almost like the mind quickly reaches its limit for me in trying to like wrap my head around the ways in which that kind of like vibrate back and forth. Um, and I've been thinking of them as like two heads on a, two heads on a coin, but does the coin exist? I don't know. Um, <laughs> like two heads on a coin, like the, the, um, like they're simultaneous truths, but they're also mm. different. Uh, but I would say that the path of the, like the hermetic Kabbalistic magical, you know, esoteric Christian Gnostic, whatever we want to call it like that path contains both right that is the, the i mean that's the yeah. caduceus right yeah it contains both um whereas i think the more kind of like if we think of like the classic non-dual eastern models just have the one side um and i think waking up to that self wakes in my experience it wakes up to other and um And, I, I've, and this is one of the things that I think about like with mass and what we should be trying to do with mass, whatever it ends up looking like, is um, so for like the last two years, I've been doing um, morning prayers out of the liberal Catholic Church's prayer book. So it's like a collection of psalms and other prayers and then using Stefan Heller's lectionary to plug in like the readings for the day in there doing meditation with that. And, um, recently, particularly since studying stuff with the, the rabbi and getting, I guess, some words to use for experiences that I was having, which then kind of like allows, seems to allow one to focus more in on the experience. But, um, that experience of prayer, uh, in a way of like being filled with, the experience of connection to that greater thing while also maintaining the separateness thing. There was some quote from Ramakrishna where he was saying that like, you know, the, the non-dual person um, wants to become, wants to become the thing, wants to become one with the thing. It's about the person the the one that's a, a bhakti or like a lover of the divine is wanting to taste the sugar not be the sweetness mm. you know and it, it's one of those things that i i find in like althea and i talk about and using um relationship as spiritual practice and so like the way in which you can be making love with your partner and have that sense of you know, the boundaries dissolve and there's just, just this one being of pleasure or whatever. And that's amazing. And that's great. And it's also great in my experience to have the pleasure of interacting with other as well. You know, like this, the, the thing that, that responds to my devotion and that my devotion to fills my heart with and like that connection with that thing. And I, I see, um, that there's an, an aspect in, uh, like, like when we think about doing a service like mass, 
it's involving prayer and it's involving this reverent relation with the divine um i think there's a there's a lot of power of uh transformation in that relationship i i don't i mean like I, there's so many ways i think it works but almost like plugging into i mean that seems almost too impersonal but like a uh relationship with the supreme source and also being like a, a a fully conscious aware point of that source which is where it all starts to break down but um so i guess things to say on that one. yeah <laughs> um there's, all right, there's two things. So one is I want to just throw in there too, like the the Thelemic distinction of like Nui and Hadith, mm -hmm. which is like you know like the the, the all like the, the all encompassing circle and then the point at the center of yep, every yep 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 is is like another metaphor for that yeah and yep. um, and it also brings up something that. Kitty and uh, so when Kitty and Karen and I first talked about the wedding, and we we were you know we we told her that we wanted to have you also be involved with it. Uh, one of the things that she was kind of like processing and just and like figuring out about it was that, and and I I hate like I may not represent what she said perfectly. Uh, so, you know, I, I, she'll, she'll say her piece about it again too, but was the, you know, like, so one of the things that Kitty struggles with in being asked to do this role is that she doesn't necessarily believe in marriage, <laughs> which is really interesting. It makes it problematic. Which is problematic. And, and <laughs> like, it's not that she doesn't believe in like, you know, magical you know commitments and partnerships and those things but she she has that she has a hard time like like relating to like the idea of like fixedness or like certainty and mm -hmm. that and then she was and then she realized that at some point in the conversation that like that you embodied like that the, the opposite perspective of her of like certainty or like this is that right of. right and that that you know she was sort of seeing that as like this is a, a cool sort of balance in the thing yeah. and, and so and then i was so and i was thinking of like when you were talking just now i was like kind of picturing so like there's this kind of archway thing wherever the ceremony is going to be and like there you know so and i've always kind of pictured like an altar sort of behind it you know and there's like I don't know what's on the altar exactly yet, but then there's kind of like me <laughs> and there's Karen. <laughs> and then I'm picturing like, I, I don't know, or maybe we'd be the other way around, but, and then there's like Kitty <laughs> and you, and I don't know how to represent you. You can put a little hat on because you have a hat on right now. <laughs> So, anyway, and, like, basically that we start to kind of create, like, the tree, you know, in a sense. And there's, because, like, the, the altar, this is, like, Kether, and this is the, you know, the, the point beyond duality. But, like, 
you know, in terms of like the thing that like she and I are embodying in the ritual, it's like the, the like it's polarity, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's kind of like these sort of worldviews of or just like perspectives that like the two of you are holding down and then like the you know sort of the Vesca Pisces in the middle of the yeah. things is like the <laughs> that's, awesome. that's like the, the central the central path or whatever yeah so, uh, I think that's brilliant I think it's great I, I, it, I think that's a really good point it will be a manifestation of the of the two different things. It's interesting. It makes me think, you know, like, uh, I really see uh, relationship as spiritual practice. And I think the point, and, and I know people have lots of great arguments for, you know, uh, historical material uh, examples of the ways in which monogamy fails and, and sets up bad situations for people and historically for women and um, I mean that stuff is like undeniable and then at the same time I think that like I mean at least to me this would be one of the reasons from an esoteric perspective why marriage is a sacrament um, is that you're doing in your relationship exactly what this spiritual practice is attempting to do mm-hmm. is to create an immortal thing you know, like, I think it's the, the representation of the Trinity, which shows up cross-culturally in spiritual traditions, but it's like, Alfie and I talk about this all the time, it's like, you know, I have my perspective and my set of everything that a person has, and she has the same thing with her, and we come together to create this third thing that is relationship and magical bonding between two people that is attempting to establish something that is not transitory in a world that is like completely, you know, like everything material is so obviously transitory um, and, and mobile and moving and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I think that, um, I think there's reasons for, for there's esoteric reasons for the sacraments, which I know is, is stuff that, you know, like, it's not some new idea that I'm coming up with and people can have all different interpretations of what this would look like. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons like relationship as a spiritual practice and marriage only strengthens the goal of immortality. Mm. Um, I, th- I think it's an integral part to the esoteric underlay of, you know, the culture, um, well, you know, like traditionally, like the, to study Kabbalah, you you had to be married and over forty. Yeah, well, yeah. I guess that's what I've heard. I don't know if it's yeah, true. yeah. <laughs> that's always what I've heard too, and, yeah. I, and I've, I don't know if it's true either. Um, uh, but it, I think it the idea is you have to be. About right. <laughs> you have to be established. You know, you, I don't know. You have to have. You have to have a relationship with the feminine. Um, in a way that's that's not transitory um so yeah so i i mean it's interesting because we started talking about this in regards to names for the thing so like what about the gnostic temple of the eternal spark but a spark can't be eternal right like that's i know what that's, the, that's what's that's what's cool about it it's <laughs> it's like the spark that is eternal it's like the oh wow yeah <laughs> 
Oh, that's really interesting. Technically, I'm not sure a flame can be eternal either. <laughs> well, yeah. It can, be, right. it can last a long time. But I mean, that's... Okay, but that's the other thing, is like, there's really nothing in the material world that is, isn't temporary. You know, so it's all sparks yeah. from like yeah, yeah, God's yeah. view, or it's all yeah. f- one flame. Yeah, way. yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I mean, that's awfully wordy still. <laughs>